0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to
1: the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com. Joined by MLB.com National Content Editor, Matt Myers. It is Thursday, May 13th. We're going to talk about Garrett Cole. We're going to talk about what the Phillies are doing to poor Bryce Harper. We're going to talk about the Mariners calling up their future today. Matt is going to educate us all on why you should never be a left-handed pitcher throwing against the White Sox, and we will get to some rants and interesting guys that you should know. Matt, I had a question for you before we get into what Garrett Cole is doing. You have, in the last couple of days, I think, um, done something I haven't done yet in a while, which is attend a baseball game. And if I'm not mistaken you didn't go for work not as media like you went and sat as a fan in the seats and I'm so jealous cuz I haven't done it in like a year and a half and I I planned to soon I just haven't been able to make it work yet was it was it everything you hoped it would be like was it just wonderful <laughs> um yeah it
2: was it was it was pretty wonderful uh and I'm looking forward to going back I have a, a a a Brooklyn Cyclones game on my on my docket for this week and maybe another Mets game the following week so I'm very I'm trying to make up for for a lost time, you know, certainly easing back into it with the reduced capacity is very nice, not just because, you, you know, you don't feel, you know, claustrophobic at all, but there's also no lines for anything. Um, so being able to get like Shake Shack at City Field with no line is sort of wonderful <laughs> in its own right after, you know, so there's, there's also like other like kind of nice things that have come with it. So, um, uh, I, uh, I will I will I like to I'm going to speak more about my ballpark experience later in the show. And if that's not a teaser, I don't know what it is.
1: Wow. okay. Well, I can't wait for that. Uh, I did want to start off by talking about Garrett Cole, who like I want to have a a like deep intellectual thought about this or some like analytical proof that he's doing something differently. And I just keep looking at seventy eight strikeouts to three walks. and all I can do is just kind of laugh. <laughs> like seventy eight th- strikeouts, three walks. He had twelve walks last night against Tampa Bay. He has not walked anybody since April 12th. That's over a month ago. He's gone five straight starts without a walk. He's faced 191 batters. He has three walks. And I. there's like a lot of different stats that are here to talk about this. But I think the thing that's the funniest to me is he has not walked a non-Blue Jay this season. <laughs> <laughs> his, his three walks have come once to Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and twice to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And that's it. That's that's it. That's Those are all the walks. Um, Andrew Simon, our friend and colleague, pointed out that in the history of baseball up until this season, there had never been a starter who had a five-start stretch with zero walks and at least 49 strikeouts. And now Garrett Cole and Corbin Burns have each done it (laughs) this season. (laughs) Uh, Lucas Apostolaris from Baseball Perspectives pointed out that Cole is now at 56 strikeouts since his last walk. That is tied for the third longest this century behind Greg Maddox, who had 61 in 2001, and Liam Hendricks, who had 77 in 2019, excluding intentional walks. I don't actually remember that happening, but he was a reliever. So it's like a different thing entirely. 78 strikeouts to three walks. And I think the thing that stands out to me the most is like in any normal timeline, a guy with this reputation, like he's obviously was the number one pick and he's been very good for a couple of years to have 78 strikeouts and three walks, you'd say without question, this is the best pitcher in baseball. And I don't think you can say that right now. Not with Degrom and and Burns and Bieber. Like maybe you would make the argument that Cole is, but it's not. It's not clear. Like it's not far and away. It's obviously yeah. him, and that just says a lot about how ridiculous pitching is right now to me. Yeah the
2: the seventy eight. You know people always be, be always throw around like video game numbers. Like oh these are video game numbers, but like that's probably the most video game number I've seen yet. Like seventy eight strikeouts and three walks because like when you play video games, right? You never walk anyone. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. You can like control um, <laughs> almost exactly where a pitch goes. So the three, the, that, that is just an insane number. Um, you know, when it comes to the best pitcher in baseball conversation, I sort of feel like DeGrom has become the default answer and he's certainly not the wrong answer, but Garrett Cole is very much in that conversation. Uh, <laughs> I think that the, the one place where you might kind of give, I don't know, an edge to Cole. Um, and I'm not saying it's just those two pitchers because he has Bieber's in that conversation. I actually think, you know, Corbin Birds, maybe even Brandon Woodruff is, you know, on the fringe of that conversation um, as well after an absolutely another dominant start um, last night. I think the one edge you, you might give to Cole is maybe durability. You know, DeGrom has this, this happens basically every year, it seems like, where he kind of you know, sits himself out for a small period. He seems to know his body well and thus far has been knock on wood, managed to avoid um, serious injuries since you know he became DeGrom. Um, he had you know he had uh, Tommy John surgery uh when he was in the minors, but um, I just looked it up over the last going back to the start of 2018, which was DeGrom's like first Cy Young season. Garrett Cole does have more innings pitched, he's he has the most innings pitched in baseball since the start of 2018, but the gap is actually smaller than I thought. It's only nine innings. Um, you know, Cole's at 538. Um, uh, Aaron Nola is number two at 533 and uh, DeGrom is at 529. So it's actually, it's smaller than I realized. Um, but I was watching a little bit of Cole last night and he was just ridiculous. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, you, you watch Cole and you're like, oh, he, he's the best pitcher. Then you watch DeGrom and you're like, oh no, he's the best pitcher. And then you watch Bieber it's like, oh no, he's the best pitcher. Um it's an interesting debate.
1: Yeah, from our point of view, so it's a little bit after one o'clock on Thursday, in about 35 minutes, Corbin Burns is going to start against St. Louis. So by the time you listen to this podcast, you you will have known what will have happened. And I, I feel like, I don't know, I like to root for absurdity and chaos. And so I kind of want to see how far he can go without a walk. Um, I really liked what what Sarah Langs wrote the other day, like trying to find the three ball counts to see how close he came to a walk. And it wasn't even terribly close because he's just uh, obscenely good. So do you think he can get through another game without a walk? I guess they, you should probably bet against that just because like that's <laughs> the field. And yet I feel like he could. Um,
2: Sure. Why not? I mean, the way he's been going, you know, like I would I wouldn't I wouldn't uh I wouldn't bet against them. So who would who would your who would you your pick be for best pitcher in baseball right now? And do you think there's anyone else that should be in that conversation?
1: No, I think those are the big four right now. Listen, before the season, I you know we do these top ten lists for MLB Network, and I picked Bieber. And I mean, I kind of picked it as like a one in one a Bieber and Degrom. But I I picked Bieber just because I was a little worried about like Degrom's never ending velocity increase, and I sort of felt like that couldn't. Continue indefinitely, and look—he's on the injured list right now. You know, it seems like it's not that bad, fortunately. Um, I, you know, a four-way tie. Can I do that? Cole, Degrom, Bieber, and Burns. Like, no disrespect to you know Woodruff and John Means or whoever else you want to throw in there, but it's a four-way tie. That's what it is for me right now. Well, I don't think Burns is quite—he doesn't have quite the track record yet. So I think he's to me. It's to me. There's the the
2: big three. Like I think that like you know Burns doesn't have quite the track record yet to be in the conversation with. Um, Cole and Bieber and Degrom. Um, so I think I was sort of, you know, I sort of put him down, down a peg in tier two with, um, his teammate Brandon Woodruff. I'm not sure he's better than Woodruff. Um, oh, I think, and he's- then also, then you, oh, oh interesting, 49 um, strikeouts
1: and no walks. Come on, man. Yeah, well, it's, it's,
2: it's 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 one month. You know, it's one month. It's like the, Woodruff has been pretty good for a couple of years now. Well, Ber- um, Burns
1: was good last year too, right? Like. I, I had him in my Cy Young mix. He just missed out being a you know a qualified pitcher by like two outs, so no one paid attention. I think I'm just saying
2: it's. I think it's just not a. I think it's not a no brainer. I think that there's the tier two to me, which includes probably um, at this point. I mean, Max Scherzer still probably has an argument to being in tier one just based on his you know career, um, but I think he's maybe a step below those guys now. So to me, there's that tier two, which is Scherzer, um, probably Zach Wheeler's in that conversation, um, and then. Burns Woodruff, maybe Bauer. That's that's when it starts to get a little, you know, a little less clear. But to me, it's the big three right now um, in terms of combination of like present dominance and track record. Cole, Bieber, and, uh,
1: and Degrom. I, I like the idea that you could make the argument, and I don't think you're wrong that Cole is the third best starting pitcher in baseball right now. 78 strikeouts, three walks, insane track record. Pitchers, as it turns out, are really, really good. We will take a quick break and we will come back with our three batter minimum.
0: Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB getroman.com slash MLB.
1: We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. We're going to move into the three batter minimum. Our first topic is Bryce Harper, who, depending on how you value such things, is either having a fantastic season or a terrible season. I'm going to say fantastic season. He's got an OPS of over a thousand He's got a 181 OPS plus where 100 is league average. That's actually not that far off his 2015 season, which was like phenomenally good. Bryce Harper has also driven in 11 runners this year. Um, Matt, do you know how many other runner, uh, batters excuse me, have driven in at least 11 runners this year? Uh, I don't know, a lot. <laughs> 187 other hitters as of this morning. This includes like Garrett Hampson and Steven Vogt. 187 other hitters have driven in as many runs as he has, and so you might think to yourself, "Oh well, that's that's not great." Like he's supposed to be there to, to drive in runs, and it's not even that. Like he's not performing with runners on base. Like he's actually hitting better with runners on base. He has seven homers and 11 RBIs, and maybe you can guess where this is going. All seven of those home runs are solo home runs, and the reason is the Phillies are never. Ever putting anybody on base for him and i'm going to kind of like split this off into two things one is that um the phillies offense isn't very good and two is that they shouldn't hit him third okay so here's the thing he's got 11 rbis seven of them are himself because he had solo homers he has four other runs driven in. here are the names okay he's driven each of these four names in one time zach efflin once he's a pitcher roman quinn once brad miller once andrew mccutcheon once. Did you do you notice like a prominent Phillies name who's hit second most of the year who's not on that list? Uh who, who am I missing there? Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins! Bryce Harper is hit behind Reese Hoskins 23 times this year, and he has driven him in. This is true. Zero times. Zero times. And the reason for this is that they just don't have anybody on base for Harper. Like I'm going to write about this. I looked it up. He has uh, only 14% of his plate appearances coming with runners in scoring position. That's the second lowest to Tommy Edman, who's a leadoff hitter. And the two guys behind Harper, Robbie Grossman and Colton Wong are leadoff hitters. The Moby average is 25%. This is mostly because McCutcheon, it has been better lately, but overall he has, you know, not been that great. And Hoskins sort of like, has completely changed into a different hitter you know he used to be like this high patience like drew a lot of walks and had some decent power and now he's just become like entirely strikeouts and home runs
2: he's two he's two true outcomes now he lost the third one yeah
1: exactly and you know if you look at the first two spots in the order um philly the phillies have a 305 on base which is the fourth worst now Let's talk about Harper hitting third for a second. Um, I think we can agree. I would hope that he's their best hitter. And while I generally try not to care about lineup order that much, because I feel like it's just, it's never worth how much effort people put into talking about it. The reason you're not really like supposed to quote unquote, supposed to hit your best hitter third is because it is the spot most likely to come up with nobody on and two outs. Can you guess which hitter in baseball has come up with nobody on and two outs the most in baseball? Bryce Harper. It's Bryce
0: Harper, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and like I'm not saying Joe Girardi's got a ton of options because the Phillies' offense isn't that good, and you know he has actually dropped Hoskins lately to to move up uh, Gene Segura, which is fine, uh, but man, how do you have seven homers and an OPS over a 11 RBI? <laughs> it's like, ugh. it's a,
2: it's. I mean, the Phillies, by the way, are just like the weirdest team. They they play like crazy games. Every, there's like something weird happens in a Phillies game, like basically every night. You know, even so, like last night, you know, was the Wednesday night against the the Nationals. Actually, like it was a game was like, oh my God, the Phillies are going to blow another one where like Bryce Harper and Odeball Herrera like collided and they lost the ball in the outfield and 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 uh collided and allowed Alex Avila to hit a triple. You know something went wrong when Alex Avila hits a triple. <laughs> um, uh, and it looked like- A giant air quotes triple. <laughs> exactly. And then, of course, the, um, Herrera sort of you know, uh, made up for it by hitting a game-tying home run, and they won extra innings. But like, last Saturday night, one of the craziest games, they went, in, they went up by three runs in the 12th against the Braves and lost. The week before on Sunday Night Baseball, they had that crazy game against the Mets where like Hoskins hit the ball, that hit the railing. That would have been the game-tying home run. The Phillies are just like, the, in some ways, you know, the most entertaining team. <laughs> As a non-Philly fan, they play the most entertaining games um, in baseball this year. Hoskins seems to have – this feels like a conscious, conscious change of like, I'm going to try and change my approach. Like he is swinging more. He is walking a lot less. And he's just a less effective hitter overall. I almost, I almost wonder if like could see him try and like revert back to um, his old ways, or if he even, you know, if that's something you can sort of do mid-season. But uh, he's just been, you know, he's got an OBP below 300, um, and his walk rate is half of what it normally is. So um, everything else is basically the same. It's just like his walk rate is half of what it of what it normally is, and um, as a result, um, the Phillies are suffering, and Bryce Harper's uh, RBI opportunities are suffering.
1: Did you say like three minutes ago, maybe that something weird happens in every Phillies game. That's uh all right. So they're in the top of the first right now. I don't, I don't have the video on, but I do have like game day up and I don't know how to explain this entirely, but here's, here's a description for the Phillies run. Uh, Bryce Harbor advances to second base on a caught stealing error by first baseman, Josh bell, Andrew McCutcheon scores. And I'm extremely interested uh, <laughs> To see what happened.
2: There. Point, point, proof, point proof it in real time.
1: <laughs> That's amazing, uh, and I wish I could get this video to load because I want to see it. Uh, I I just think like, I think I've said this before. Like, do we we underrate Bryce Harper now? Right? Like, because he's not Trout, but he's really good. Like, he's super good. He
2: is super good now, but I also think we can't forget that he did actually have like two or three years in there mm-hmm. where he was just kind of like good as opposed to great. And I think that's kind of like where it maybe people sort of kind of checked out on him a little bit. Not not that he was ever bad, but, you know, he had, you know, in 2018 OPS Plus of 133, good, not like otherworldly. 2019, 127, you know, like good, not otherworldly. So, like, for a while it was like, oh, this guy's like a good, you know, really good player, but it just felt like kind of a disappointment. Now he's actually putting up the last, you know, 2020 abbreviated year, but um, over the last two years now we're talking about a guy – with a you know OPS plus of 167 over the last two years, you know that's 87 games, more than half a season in a normal year, and it's like okay, this is kind of closer to the vintage um, MVP Bryce Harper. It is still his age 28 season, so um, which is kind of wild because he's been you know he debuted as a teenager. So there's I won't say the best is yet to come, but I think a lot of like greatness is yet to come for him, not to rewrite the narrative, but to kind of like reposition the narrative of like oh yeah, this guy might actually be like you know, on a Hall of Fame track. Uh,
1: I just watched this video, by the way. First and third, Harper was at first. McCutcheon was at third with two outs. And Harper got picked off. And as he's running to second, McCutcheon breaks for home. And Josh Bell makes a not a great throw to home. And so that's where the error came in. Josh Bell has just been at a really rough introduction to Washington, by the way. So at least there's an explanation for um, what seemed like a very weird play. Our second item here, the Mariners have made uh, an important and notable roster move. They have selected right-handed pitcher Paul Sewell from A <laughs> Tacoma. <laughs> oh, and, and also top pitching prospect Logan Gilbert and top outfield prospect Jared Kelnick. Uh, important Kelnick. It's not Kelenic. It's not Kelenic. It is Kelnick. Two syllables. I'm excited to see how many people screw that up this year. And, Gilbert and Kelnick are obviously each very highly regarded prospects. Uh, Kelnick's the number four overall prospect at MLB Pipeline. Gilbert is the number thirty-three overall prospect. And Sarah Langs and, and Jason Bernard, our two friends and colleagues, came up with something I thought was pretty interesting. So MLB Pipeline began doing rankings in two thousand four, and this is only the third time since then that a team will have two top one hundred prospects debut in the same game or the same team in the year they are ranked in the top one hundred. Uh, In 2015, it was Manny Margot and Hunter Renfro for the Padres. And in 2013, Christian Jelic and Jake Mariznik for the Marlins. And I had completely forgotten that Jake Mariznik was A, a Marlin, or B, a top 100 prospect, but uh, I guess he was. And this kind of feels like, you know, it's been a long rebuild in Seattle. This sort of feels like this is the step, right, to the, the next iteration of this. Like they've been plucky, I suppose. They're 18 to 19. They're third in the West. They're not going to win the division this year. And, you know, Kalnick, after uh, all of the um, terrible Kevin Mather comments, you know, went down to play six games in AAA and hit two homers and slugged 630. And Seattle's left fielders have been pretty bad so far at 286 on base. Six different guys have played left field. Um, I didn't mind that they wanted to get him some minor league time, but it's pretty clear that he's mashing there and Seattle's left fielders aren't very good. So he's up. And Gilbert is expected to start this evening against Cleveland. And I don't know how this is going to turn out for any of them, but it's, it's kind of cool. I think in like the history of a a franchise where you can maybe like look back on a day and be like, man, that was the day. That was the day. Our Like the guys came up. This is like, you know the first start of the next. I don't know what comic's going to be. I heard like an outfield Chase Utley kind of guy, which is kind of cool. You know, like that was that was the first day and they were there on the same day. I just think that's cool if it ends up working out that day that way. For sure,
2: and it's a good. I mean, Mariners have the longest postseason drought in baseball. They have not been to the postseason since two thousand one, which is almost hard to believe. Um, and I don't think they will make the postseason this year, but I do think they're improving their team right now, and that like they could stay. You know competitive and stranger things have happened and it's also just exciting for the fan base to finally have like this you know real like feel of like okay you know the next wave is coming obviously the next you know the the other big name is julio rodriguez but he's still in in high class a so he's a little farther away but you know who knows if he if he rakes maybe you see him in september um depending on how that goes if not probably next year at the latest and then you can kind of start to dream on the team a little bit i also think that's a team that um would probably start to look at spending in free agency a bit once they kind of have that base of of um, of talent available, and then given that the fact that the Astros are kind of like on the way down, and the A's are just going to keep being the A's, which will mean like fluctuating between like good and bad, totally unpredictably every year. Um, there's the like the, the, you can start to see that that path really really open for for. The Mariners. I will admit, and I need—I kind of want your your take on this with Kelnick. Um, obviously, given my you know interest in the Mets in the past, I think that I've, I've sort of been unable to sort of—I've never been really known how to um, value, view him as a as a prospect. You know, because like you know Mets fans when they traded him, like he was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they traded this guy. And then now he's like, you know, he's he's coming up, and he's obviously a great prospect but I feel like now some of the the sort of the reports I'm reading are a little more tempered. I had actually asked Tom Tango, if he could, you know, dig up our colleague Tom Tango, if he could dig up some projections from, you know, we've, we've, we've worked in the past with like um, uh, Dan Zaborski Fangraphs and Brian Cartwright um, to do long-term projections for, for prospects when they've come up. And the projections were like, and I know projections are like modest generally by nature, but like they were f- modest in a way that I was like, Oh, it almost was like, I almost didn't want to share them because it was like, they weren't that exciting. I'm kind of curious for your, your, your take on like, what, how do you, you know, I know you're not like a a necessarily hardcore prospect guy, but like, what is, what's your kind of general take on on Kelnik?
1: I think we haven't learned enough. And this isn't specific to him so much as it is to all prospects about what the impact of the 2020 at the alternate site, instead of minor league games will be like it's wonderful that the minor leagues are back obviously i think that's fantastic and i'm excited to go to a a cyclones game as well uh but you know i've also heard a number of players say like man i i grew so much at the alternate site because i was able to like really drill down on what i needed to do uh all of which is is a way of saying like before last week the last time he played the minor league game he was 19 years old in west virginia you know or, or modesta i guess um i don't know how to I don't know how to wrap that into my projections. Cause I agree with you that the numbers weren't like elite necessarily, but he was also so young and highly touted. And I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. Cause I kind of had a related question for you uh, in the sense of you being someone who follows the Mets reasonably well. So they got Diaz right. And in that first year in 2019, he was pretty rotten and he was pretty good last year. And he's been pretty good this year. Can can Mets fans like divorce the loss of, of Kalnick from how good Diaz has been or is that always going to be on his shoulders?
2: Um, Probably always on his shoulders, but like, you know, if the Mets make a playoff run and like Diaz is a part of it and it's like a big, you know, a big key, you know, contributor, um, I think it kind of changes the equation a bit. I, I mean, it's also like part of what I was saying, you know, about how to value him kind of goes back to that trade, right? Because let's say like, you know, amongst Mets fans this is considered like the worst thing ever and i i think the trade was i you know i think it was bad for a variety of reasons but the reality is a great prospects get traded all the time, like it's actually actually. I had one of our researchers come up with a list of like you know top players now who are traded as prospects, and it was like way longer than I even realized. Um, just to name a few players who are traded as prospects: Trevor Bauer, Lucas Giolito, Trey Turner, Anthony Rizzo, Gleber Torres, Zach Wheeler, Noah Syndergaard, Will Myers, Fernando Tatis Jr., Luis Jimenez. <laughs> anyway, and the list goes on and on. It actually surprised me because you think we think of how many how how valued prospects are these days, and they are, but they still get traded a lot. The second thing I was going to say is like realistically and it's possible that kelmick like, like blows this out of the water but like what's like a real you know what's a realistic upside for him is it like michael conforto like austin meadows right like left-handed hitter with some power and athleticism like realistic upside obviously it's possible he you know he's just you know we you know maybe he is Juan Soto and we just don't know it yet right like but like he's like, not Watson. Like,
1: I will, I will confirm for you. He is not Watson. <laughs>
2: let's, so let's say like, what do you think? Do you think like, what do you think? Is that, is Conforto a reasonable, like, Hey, like, like if he turned out to be Conforto, the Mariners would be thrilled. Right.
1: I think, I think the ceiling is probably higher than that. Although I like Conforto very much, but I, yeah, I, I mean, I that's Conforto is a very good player. He's like a regular all-star caliber player. You, you couldn't be disappointed. Well, I guess him. that's sort
2: of my question. If like, if the, if the Mariners had the option today, Michael Conforto's career or whatever's behind door number one. And door number one could be like total bust. They'd mm. probably take Conforto's career,
1: no? Yes. I, I Yes, I think that's right.
2: So again, so go back to the trade, that's when I think when I, when I put it in that perspective, it's like Mets fans kind of got to get over it. Like most likely he's going to be a good player, but even like the realistic upside is like not a player that like doesn't necessarily change the course of your organization. Like prospects get traded all the time. Yeah, it was a bad trade, but like you got to get over it.
1: I think – what will help them get over it is the fact that everybody who uh, executed that trade got fired. <laughs> they're all not, they're, and and the Mets are at the moment, what have they won like eight in a row, eight or nine, something like that. That's pretty good. The other question I wanted to ask about the Mariners is like, you know, we're looking towards their, their future now, right? Like, you know, you hope Gilbert will be a part of the rotation and you hope, you know, Kalnick. And then eventually, as you said, Julio Rodriguez will be a big part of their lineup. Have you noticed that like, Evan White has not hit even a little bit like at all in, in parts of two seasons. Now he's got a 549 OPS. I know he's um, considered to be a very good defensive first baseman and there's value in that. But like, is there going to be a point soon? I know he's signed a contract where he is not playing first base for them anymore. I don't know who they would replace him with, to be honest, but uh, I'm kind of stunned at at how poorly that has gone.
2: Uh, yeah, it, may, it might end up being, you know, it's, it's a, probably a little too early to say this and because he also he also contributes on defense i think they can kind of they can kind of hide things a little bit but it might end up being just kind of like a i don't want maybe a little bit of a sunk cost like they they like tried to make take, take this chance like hey we're going to sign him basically before he's in the majors and we're going to give him like you know real money but if he if he hit you know if he ends up being at all good it's going to be like a really good you know you know good value from a team perspective and it reminds me a little bit of like you know when the uh, the the Astros gave that deal. Jonathan Singleton, also a first baseman um, who they gave like a, you know, I think it was 10 million guaranteed um, when he was still in the minors and it just did not work out at all. But it was like, you know, we took a chance and if it worked, it would have been like uh, a fantastic bargain from a team perspective. And um, it hasn't played out. And you understand why players want that cost certainty and, you know, um, that, that, that financial s- security, I should say. And that seems to, that could be, it could be a similar situation.
1: And in our third topic, we are going to talk about the White Sox. Did you know the White Sox have the highest run differential in baseball? We've kind of not been p- overly positive about Tony La Russa's moves this year, but you can't argue the fact that they've scored a lot of runs and not given up so many runs. And last night against the Minnesota Twins and J-Hap, they pounded him. Three and a third innings, nine hits, nine runs, three strikeouts, and two walks. The White Sox are now eight and one against lefty starters. Last year they were fourteen and zero against lefty starters. They are twenty two and one against lefty starters over the last two years. That doesn't sound like an accident. I'm actually going to let Matt drive this one because I know he's very passionate about this, <laughs> this. Matt, please educate us on the Southsiders pounding lefty starters. Well, it's so um, they just just crushed J hap
2: last night. Nine runs allowed, the most he's ever allowed in his career. And I saw a friend of the podcast Casey Boguslaw tweet out something like, like, "LOL, I don't know why anyone even bothers." starting a lefty against the White Sox anymore. And I thought that does sound kind of familiar. I feel like we wrote something about this last year. And sure enough, we did. Uh, our colleague Matt Kelly did a piece last September about how the White Sox destroyed left-handed pitching. In fact, they were 14-0 against left-handed, left-handed starting pitchers in the, tw- in the shortened 2020 um, season. Um, and it has continued this year. As you said, they're 8-1. and one. Um, and the numbers are just kind of comical in terms of weighted runs created plus against um, lefties. The White Sox are 156, for 100 is average. Um, number two is the uh, Cardinals, and this is uh, at 128. Um, the, the Tigers are at 45. That gives you a little sense of how their season's going. Um, and um, I thought, you know, this year, oh, well, you know, Eloy Jimenez is hurt, Luis Robert got hurt, this will change. But not really, because the best hitter over the last two years against left-handed hitters, against left-handed pitchers in baseball, and this is something I did not realize until this morning, has been Tim Anderson, um, who has a uh, 240 weighted runs created plus against left-handers over the last two years. Um, that's best in baseball. Uh, Yasmina, this is minimum 50 plate appearances. yasmini Grandel ranks 14th. Jose Abreu ranks 47th. Luis Robert actually ranks 50th. Of course, he's now um, on the injured list. And um, it's also not exactly a fluke either because I went and looked, and, and when it comes to expect, expected weight on base, the White Sox are also the best in baseball um, in uh, against left-handed pitchers. I asked Andrew Simon, um, one of our researchers, to look into this to see, like, hey, just how crazy is it for a team to have um, this kind of record against uh, left-handed pitchers? And, I mean, I don't know if I can expect them to maintain a um, a 957 uh Winning percentage against lefties as they have over the last uh, two seasons. The only team to have a better winning percentage against uh, left-handed pitchers over a two-season span is the 1943 and 1944 1943 and 1944 Reds. They actually had a three-year span where they had 846 uh, winning rec- uh, winning percentage against left-handed. I actually now want to know more about the Reds during World War II because that's kind of wild. But looking for a reason of like why the White Sox have sort of been secretly dominant and have the best run run run, run, run differential uh, in baseball, their dominance against left-handed pitchers is a good place to start.
1: I think that's fascinating. They're also, you know, pretty good against right-handed pitchers too. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. They have the ninth best weighted on base uh, against right-handed starters. And I remember like what was the biggest thing I, I thought they ha- should have done over the winter was to get a powerful left-handed bat, like say Jock Peterson. And I think that maybe is, would have helped them against righties, although obviously, you know, not so good against um, left-handed pitching. Has your opinion just on the White Sox changed at all? Like, I, I know we've talked about LaRusso a lot, and I don't even mean for that specifically, just in the sense of like, you know, I kind of thought they would be neck and neck with the Twins, and the Twins are just like crashing and burning and never bought into the Royals. Like they had a hot start, and they've been terrible lately. Cleveland's actually only a game out, but I still think their offense is terrible. Like the White Sox seem like the far and away front runner to me. And, you know, they've had injuries, but part of it's that like I'm super into Carlos Renan. And Dylan Cease has started to throw strikes. Like, have you have you changed your general opinion on this team?
2: I have, in the sense, like, as as listeners of this podcast know, I was all in on the in the in the offseason and preseason as the clear division favorites. But my opinion has changed just because, like, they're doing it in a little bit of a different way than I thought. You know, I was like, oh, I think Eloy Jimenez is going to, you know, hit 40-plus home runs, and Luis Robert's going to take a huge leap forward, and, and you know, Mankata is going to have a huge bounce back. He's been okay, but not great. So the fact that they're doing it is just in a different shape than I expected. And, you know, some of these starting pitchers coming along is a big reason why, and also Michael Kopech coming back and being very good um, from what we've seen. From what we've seen thus far um so i still see i still see them as the division favorite but yes i'm a little surprised at the way it's the way the way it has come to come to be
1: have have you looked at dallas keuchel's line at all this year i have not so obviously dallas keuchel has never been like a cold agrom throwing strikeout beast like that's not his game he usually strikes out like six or seven per nine but he he gets by with a lot of ground balls and uh, soft contact Dallas Keuchel so far this year has faced 180 batters, and he has 18 strikeouts, <laughs> which is like how how does he not have a nine ERA? <laughs>
2: This is like some like, you know, Randy Jones, like, you know, 1974 <laughs> Padres Cy Young season kind of stuff. And if you're unfamiliar with Randy Jones, I suggest you go take a look at his baseball reference page because it is wild.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, and I'm just like surface level eyeballing his baseball reference page here. So I, I don't have any deeper thoughts on to why. But the simple fact that he's doing that and he does not have like a nine and a half ERA. <laughs> It's like astounding to me. And um, now now I've got something to look into um, for Dallas Keuchel. We will take a quick break and we will be back with our Players Need to Know and our Ransom Raves.
3: This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com.
1: We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. Each week, we like to focus on a maybe less heralded guy that we find interesting. And each week I do this, like, more often than not, I think I end up on like some totally rando reliever who showed up and like struck out 10 in his first four games. And Matt correctly gives me a hard time for it. And I am, again, going to talk about a very rando reliever, but for a very different reason. Uh, he's not even that good. And in fact, I have a personal beef with him. I'm, I'm upset with him. We're going to talk about... Blue Jays reliever Travis Bergen. And if you don't know anything about him, perfectly understandable. Uh, The Blue Jays have actually continually tried to be rid of Travis Bergen. He was drafted by the Blue Jays in 2015 in the seventh round. He was picked by the Giants as a Rule 5 pick in 2019, gotten to 21 games for the Giants. But if you're a Rule 5 pick, you have to last the season with the team or be offered back to the original team. And he didn't. So he went back to the Blue Jays. And then last year, and August 31st, when the Blue Jays traded for Robbie Ray, who we need to talk about, by the way, some other time, Robbie Ray has been amazing. They traded Travis Bergen for Robbie Ray, and he got into a couple games for the Diamondbacks. And then this spring in February, he was purchased by Toronto from the Diamondbacks. He's back with Toronto. None of this matters. It's just some background on Travis Bergen. Here's what's interesting to me. This spring, for the first time, we had... In most of the Florida spring training parks, uh, Statcast hardware setup—not all the parks, but most of them—which we'd never had before—and I noticed, and Corey Schwartz, who's our pitch classification, Maven kind of pointed out to me, Travis Bergen had thrown 66 pitches this spring, and all of them were forcing fastballs, all of them. And we made sure it wasn't like a classification error. No, it was—it was true. It was real, and he was actually pretty decent. 11 strikeouts and 25 batters faced. So I kind of filed that away as, huh, that's interesting. Well. I kept an eye on him to start the regular season on April 28th. He threw 13 pitches, all fastballs. And on May 1st, he threw 16 pitches, all fastballs. And on May 3rd, his first two pitches were fastballs. And at this point we were up to 97 straight four seam fastballs. And I was like, I needed three more pitches. Because I figured once I get up to 100 straight four seamers, I can go take this to Matt and say, Matt, you got to let me write about this. It's so weird. This guy, he doesn't throw 98 or anything like that. Once once we got up to 100 straight four seam fastballs, I was going to say, let me write a weird story. And then he threw a curveball. And... Now it's 87 four seamers and six curveballs per the season, you know, plus the 66 from the spring he has right now, uh, dating back to 2008 with all seasons of at least 50 pitches thrown the second highest four seam percentage on record, 93 and a half percent, uh, only Jake McGee who had a 96% a year or two ago is higher. So here's to you, Travis Bergen, and your super weird approach to pitching (laughs) and your inability to throw three more four seamers and let me get a cool story out of it.
2: Um, there still might be a story there, but I guess we, we can discuss that <laughs> offline. <laughs> off, off um, I said earlier in the podcast, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, my, uh, my return to the ballpark. And um, that's where this comes in, because I went to my first game uh, on last Friday night. And uh, it was the famous... Uh, Ratcoon coon game, uh, although I was in the <laughs> ballpark. So I, I was at the ballpark, so I kind of missed all of that, cause, which was actually kind of nice because I was not distracted by that ridiculousness. Um, but uh, as some of you may remember, the Mets were down 4 nothing. They came back and tied the game. And so it went to extra innings. And uh, they started with the runner on second. It was Pete Alonso. They intentionally walked Dom Smith. And um, uh, Kevin Pillar came up. And my wife said... Oh, like, you know, I said, oh, they're probably going to bunt now. My wife said, why would they bunt? Like, bunting's bad. And I was like, I was very proud of my wife um, for, <laughs> for saying that earlier in the game when Francisco Lindor had bunted, like when it was unclear if he should, like in the ninth inning he'd bunted and she was like, why did he do that? That was really stupid. It was, it was a wonderful woman. Um and I was like, well, you know, they only need one run here and they can just walk off. If they, if they get second and third, like it's, it's probably, this might be a play. Um, of course, Pilar then, because and then I was like, also, there's this guy, they only have one guy left on the bench. It's this guy, Patrick Mazika. He's basically never paid, he's never had a big league hit. I could see the Diamondbacks wanting to just like force Patrick Mazika to be the hero. So they could easily just, you know, if w- they almost want Pilar to bunt because then that gives him a reason to walk the next hitter and bring up Mazika. Um Of course, Pilar hit a a fly ball that advanced uh, Alonzo to third. And then they, sure enough, they intentionally walked uh, Jonathan Villar to bring up Patrick Mazika, And Patrick Mazika hits a ground ball about 10 feet um, that somehow allowed the run to score. It was like the perfect like swinging bunt, as they say, that allowed the run to score. And it was kind of charming. This guy who's never had a major league hit and is probably just kind of a 4A guy had this walk-off fielder's choice in a ridiculous way. And it was a fun return to the ballpark. And it was like, it was great. And then I went back on Tuesday night to see the Mets play the Orioles, and sure enough, they tied the game in the ninth, and Patrick Mazika comes up again (laughs) and with him runner on third and hits a slow ground ball to the right side just enough to uh, score the run, and he became the first player in Major League history to have three – he also got an RBI on a walk, so he became the first player to have three RBIs before he got his first hit since Cincinnati's Joe Brovia – in 1955 he's also the first player since rbis became an official stat in 1920 with multiple multiple walk-off rbis within his first four career games so um, patrick Mazika is the guy i want to talk about a little background on him because i've now gone down a patrick Mazika patrick Mazika wormhole he's actually from massachusetts um some town i had you know even though i you know went to college in new england i've spent a lot of time uh in in, in the new england area um it's something with a W that I can now escapes me. It's near Springfield. He somehow went to college at Stetson University in Florida, which is not really a uh, connection you hear. Stetson, Stetson is famous because it is actually the uh, alma mater of Jacob deGrom, Corey Kluber, and also Logan Gilbert, who was making his debut. I was, he for... beat me to it. I was <laughs> going to say it. <laughs> I actually went to a back in my, uh, college sports television days. I once covered a game at Stetson University in which Corey Kluber pitched. I did not even realize it at the time that he was going to become um, Corey Kluber. And Stetson University is in Deland, Florida. And the most notable thing about that game is that they had, and this was like 15 years ago. I'm not sure if this still exists, but they had like a section of like diehard fans. They called the bleacher creatures. And you're going to say, oh, you know, it's just a bunch of college bros. You know, no, it was a bunch of guys who lived at a nearby retirement home who went to every single Stetson game. <laughs> they were like guys in their 70s who would come and just like make wise-ass wise remarks and heckle the opposition. Um, it was pretty delightful. So that was my memory of going to a Stetson University um, baseball game. Patrick Riziko, though, I will say he was well-suited for that situation because he the one thing he does not do in his minor league career is strike out. He's had multiple seasons where he's had more walks than strikeouts. Um, and in fact, in college, one year hit 382. So, and in in the minors one year, hit 354. So he's a, he's a single sitting catcher. If you saw him, because the Mets ripped his shirt off, he has the physique of just any guy, which is also sort of uh, encouraging for those of us who um, uh, aspire to be a professional athletes. And he's become a wonderful, uh, wonderful folk hero.
1: I love that. And I was also reading that uh, part of the reason that he's so loved by the, the Mets is that he came up with a lot of those guys, right? Like he's close friends with. Um, with Jeff McNeil and he was on some minor league teams with Pete Alonso. So even though he's not you know, likely to be that kind of caliber of major leaguer, they just like all love him as a dude, you know, <laughs> like that's important to them. And you said something yesterday that I thought was funny. His name came up in an internal meeting and you said, it's like, remembering a guy in real time, which I thought was beautiful because it's kind of true. Um, and yes, I was going to have like all sorts of Stetson facts. You forgot Chris Johnson, former Astros and Diamondbacks infielder, Chris Johnson, but Logan Gilbert is also from Stetson. I thought that was pretty fun. We are going to finish off with our rants and raves. And mine comes from last weekend the Dodgers and the uh, angels were playing and the Dodgers were pounding the angels. They were up 13 to nothing in the middle of the game. And uh, angels, I guess he's a right fielder. Now Taylor Ward came up and tried and failed to lay down a bunt. He tried to get a bunt hit. He didn't even do it. And um, the angels ended up coming back and only losing that game by three runs. That's right. They turned a 13, nothing deficit into a 14, 11 loss. And like, what are we doing here? Dave Roberts and Clayton Kershaw were like really upset that he tried to bunt in a 13, nothing game. And I just, are we not past this yet? Here's, Roberts' quote was literally, it's just not a good baseball play. And you know me, I'm not the one out here like saying yay bunting ever. You know what's a good baseball play? Trying to get on base when you're down 13, (laughs) nothing. Because hey, you might make it 14, 11, right? Like you should be thrilled. This guy is trying to give you an out by bunting. And I was just, I was surprised at how like, what a 1974 opinion that felt like that someone tried to bunt against you up 13-0 and maybe worry about not blowing a 13-0 lead. That was, that was my opinion on that.
2: <laughs> well, well said. Uh, my rant is going to be about a, um, a, 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 a Twitter comment by uh, a political reporter who I will not name that kind of got, was, getting, <laughs> was getting dunked on pretty regularly on, uh, on Twitter yesterday and with good reason. Um, he said, don't fall for the BS that today's baseball is great because players are good are so good. They all kind of suck now. No one fields anymore. No one does anything fundamental. No relief pitcher has more than one pitch. So a no two count is meaningless because hitter a hitter knows what's coming. And you know, it was pretty much destroyed by most of uh most of baseball Twitter. And it's a ridiculous take. I've sort of kind of gone into these kinds of uh uh you know takes before the baseball players are actually insanely good. In fact, I saw someone, I saw someone tweet that they were like, if anything, baseball players are too good. And the, the complaints about baseball, you know, the pace of playing everything are because players have gotten too good and almost like <laughs> broken the game. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And, uh, you know, uh, DJ short had a response Twitter a Twitter response to this that I thought was well said. He said, modern baseball is not without criticism, but you somehow selected like the lowest stuff on the list of things to complain about. <laughs> and I think that that is very well said.
1: <laughs> There's like a... I guess you have to be like extremely online to get this joke, but like every day there's one main character of Twitter and all you want to do is not be that person. Right. And this guy was that guy, at least in baseball Twitter, like he's still getting dunked on right now. <laughs> and it's just like, some people are trying to reason and a lot of people are just sending like pitching ninja gifs of like a hundred mile an hour fastballs moving three different ways. And um, I'm with you on that. And I, I, just, I guess I'm just surprised how many people think that what's happening is because the players aren't trying to be good. When I agree with you, it's that the players are obscenely good, like insanely, deeply, deeply good. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are enjoying the show or have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We will see you next week.
0: Go to getroman.com/mlb today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's getroman.com/mlb. getroman.com/mlb